friends, welcome to episode 198 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? I am okay. Uh, a little off because of, like, weather still. Like, I can't seem to get, like, a sinus footing going on or, like, headspace within my head cavity. Yeah. It's like, it's 30, it's 60, it's 50, it's 20, it's... It hits 60 today. Yeah. It'll be 38 tomorrow. Yep. I think it's going to be in the 20s the day after, and then I think it's going to be back up to the 50s this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh... And I yeah. had to wipe clean the headspace from yesterday because we got to uh, we we have a show coming up with uh, some uh, co-host or you know uh, it's not quite an interview we we have people joining we, us we in the show guests, yeah. we have some guests we have some knowledgeable and, guests yeah. uh, um, and uh, we got to meet them yesterday mm-hmm. and go through some stuff so you guys uh, you'll all hear uh, from them in a couple weeks uh, so we're very uh, we're excited about that too so it'll be interesting yeah Knox winter weather warning issued <laughs> it's sixty degrees winter weather warning yep. welcome to Michigan welcome yep, to Michigan yep, yep. so but uh, yeah so uh, not we didn't have any events this weekend didn't we with your game. <laughs> okay, never mind. How soon we forget. Dude, it's been a long it, three days. It has. It has. Uh, and it, to, to be honest, so, like, I, I almost needed a reminder myself. No, I, it's true. I th- honestly, like, it felt like it, it was a week more or more ago. So the, the twist for me this week was you basically saying, I don't have my scenery ready. Can you get the digital map going? I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. And then not realizing that uh, several of the players had never seen it. Because oh, they're yeah. part of my, they're not part of my game. So you just casually saunter out with a thirty-eight, you know, thirty-eight inch flat screen TV that you've converted into a digital map, yep. you know, board, <laughs> uh, all stained and bracketed on the end and stuff like that. And we're like, holy crap, what's that? Two or three of our players are like, what is happening right now? <laughs> no, it turned out, it turned out really well. Oh and, yeah, by uh, the way, this is the thing I have now. Yeah, yeah, I just do this. No, I do no this big thing. Deal. No big deal. And uh, yeah, but I, your maps worked out perfectly. I think that I think there was no problem with that whatsoever. Oh yeah, I yeah. Everybody I think, really I think that worked it. out good. Um, so. I already had the minis painted. Yeah. Um, from last time, and uh, I thought game went pretty well. I thought it went pretty smoothly. Yeah. Um, no, one hundred percent. I thought it. <clears> I, I thought uh, knowing what I knew about the story. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, at least the the five thousand foot overview that we had done. Um. I felt that it, like, from a storyteller's perspective, I thought it went great. Mm-hmm. I thought all the players hit all the beats and moved through it very comfortably. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. And, like all good Savage World games, you don't know how the players are going to want to react to the scene, whether it's they're going to want to do something tactical, or they're just, yeah, dramatic task is great. Let's just keep going. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and so much was dramatic task. If if they had decided that that's, that's fun, that would have been perfectly fine with me. But uh, I I kind of put it up to the to, you know to the to the group. I was like, do you guys want to get into like a tactical combat here, or mm-hmm. you know, do you want to just kind of do this in in role play and do it as a dramatic task sort of thing? Um, and enough people were like, you know what, we haven't done a tactical combat in a while. Let's let's try that out. Yeah. Um, and I said, yeah, that's kind of my vote, too, because I, I, I went through all the trouble of painting these minis. I want to use them. You know? Exactly. And at the same time, like, most of the adventure up to that point had been a lot of talky. Yeah. And specific individuals doing a lot of recon and check back and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of us are literally sidelined like, do-do-do, do do But we're all part of the story. We're all yeah. still adding to the game and, and doing things to make it 
feel active. Mm-hmm. And and that's the beautiful thing. And it it never takes long. Dramatic tests really don't take that long. No, they, they don't. Take... I mean, and, and to to me, like I think they're the, they're the the sweet spot of that fast, fun, furious gameplay that Savage mm-hmm. Worlds like to, likes to put out there, because um, you get to. Um, uh, you get to use a lot of your skills and stuff like that in some fun and creative ways. Um, and then, but the outcomes are all narrative. You don't have to get into the nitty gritty yeah. of do I hit him? Okay, how much damage do I do? Do I cause any status effects? You know, anything like that. It's yeah. just it moves the story. Well, and not know? only that, but the 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 player's choice of investment within those dramatic situations of how much they choose to describe is up to them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's the beauty. Exactly. So you you as a storyteller can then choose to step back and just let them narrate it. Yeah. Which is nice. Yeah, exactly. And now we've got, I've got a lot of good players at, at my table that like doing narration. They like a heavily mm-hmm. narrative game and stuff like that. So allowing them a canvas to paint upon yeah. um, is, is makes everybody at the yeah. table happy. Micro roles, macro narrative, basically. Yeah. Uh, whereas with D&D, you're, you're tactically trying to figure out what it is. And so you're doing all of this role theory. Mm-hmm. A few rolls to try and figure things out, or re-rolls, depending on you know whether they've got luck or some other control surface that's helping them change their rolls, and then outcome, and it just eats up so much. And so it's uh, it is it is wonderful to enjoy those moments with, when you can have them and just move on. Mm-hmm. You know, still have it feel like an engaging story versus you just saying like, yeah, this is what happens. Because you guys are professionals, it's like okay, I didn't get to do anything. You just told me it worked. Right. I mean, I'm happy. I'm happy that you made my character the damn hero of the day. But right. like, I don't feel like I interacted with that at all. And that's kind of what a role playing game is. You know? Yeah. Um. So we we finished up playing that. Um. And then uh, I fell asleep at a I would say a pretty reasonable time Saturday night. I didn't wake up until noon on Sunday. Uh, Sean said he peeked in on me at one point and he said, you were just so exhausted from the yeah. day before that just like, and you looked so peaceful. I just let you sleep. No. And I, and yeah. I think I was, I was trying to put it to words like, cause you always, you always say there are times when you come to, to storytelling where you're exhausted and you, you leave with energy, mm-hmm. not like more mental and internal energy because you're still exhausted from the day. Yeah. It's yeah, still a yeah. lot of talking. It's still a lot of mind work, but spiritually you're lifted and it takes a load off of you too. You're, you've stepped through that section, if you will. Yeah. I, I, I've been and uh, kind of continue to be in a bit of a, a uh, bit of a mental funk. Yeah. The last, last couple of weeks and stuff of that. Uh, I think I've talked about it a little bit on other shows and whatnot. There's just, it's a, some you know bleak stuff going on with the the plight of transgender people here in the United States and yeah. especially in the UK too mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. just it seems like it's all over and uh, honestly it's it's wearing me down a lot yeah. and just uh, there was a another thing that happened in the UK over the weekend and mm-hmm. just kind of broke me so I just I I really coming into game I was like all right I've got one spoon and one spoon only yeah <laughs> and. Um, I'm gonna gamble it on a day of smiling and laughing mm-hmm. and playing with my friends. Yep. And uh yeah, I did come out of it physically exhausted but spiritually refreshed. Which which gave you your Sunday. Yes. Which exactly. is lovely. You, so, you gotta have those moments. You gotta yeah. have those. So that's so. pretty nice. Yeah. So uh, today's show I think is interesting be in the sense that like, you know, we've been doing our two oh twos, we do our system spotlights. Sometimes we, we literally label things DM rant. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And this kind of isn't. This is kind of an 
sits in an odd place for us, but at the same time, I think is really important to people who are who are just stepping into storytelling mm-hmm. and who are looking at like role playing in general, whether they got to it through D and D or some other means. How this really fits into their life, you know. Uh, one of the things that I was I was gonna go find, and I I I have it stashed somewhere in my you know digital archive i was going to look up uh zen and the art of uh motorcycle repair oh okay yeah yeah. because there's some quotes in there that i thought would have been kind of appropriate for today Mm -hmm. and like how life alters as you perceive it through different lenses whether it be work whether it be a hobby whether it be different things and you gain different skills that are completely inobvious Oh yeah, you know, sure, sure. You know, you it's the you know it, it, it to take Karate Kid. You know, it's the wax on, wax off. You know, oh, you're waxing a car, but you're also learning how to do parries effectively. Mm-hmm. You know, it's those types of things that you don't obviously take into it, and it's kind of that's that's where my brain was at for this show when I first came up with the original idea of it. Is how much of this has we have we changed as individuals, you and I, over all these years that came from gaming. Oh yeah, like what yeah, skills? What what are the false skills that we don't even think about? You know, and it's funny. This is like there, there are some shows that that get added to our itinerary, and uh, um, especially like what, sometimes when you, when you kind of come up with your like, I say off the like no, if I, I say really off do. the wall, I like no, it fine. makes it sound derogatory. But Not like, in the it's, least. It's, I don't mean it that way. You know, well, uh, just oftentimes like, I present them to you in an exceptionally off the wall kind of way, and you have like, to like rename it to me. <laughs> you're like, what if we talked about this one little niche psychological thing that you see in a small percentage of players? And I'm like, you mean the phenomenon of this happening? Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Cool, put it on the list. Yeah. You know. And then, yeah, I guess we could have a discussion about that. And then I sit down when that when that show comes up, and I'm like, how am I going to talk for an hour about this? And then I start just jotting down, quote-unquote, a few notes mm-hmm. on the sheet, and yep. I end up with, like, a five-paragraph essay about, you know, well, And what's funny is often you'll drive. Like, you, you start out light, it gets thicker and thicker, and then at the bottom, like, by the time you get to your last points, you're like, like <laughs> and it becomes a DM rant in a way. But or, or you come to an epiphany, and I love that. I love that about our research. I love that we can do that in our show, and we can we can have these moments. I, I want to ask you a question, actually, at the kind of the onset of us talking about this topic. Of, sure. Like, how how storytelling has affected our real life and given us like skill sets, skill sets to work with and stuff that. Um, so, I mean, when I was, when I was growing up, my, my mother, especially, I can, I can hear her voice in the back of my head. It's always like, you know, I was playing games instead of doing something useful, you know, like Mm -hmm. you could be, you could be, you know, creating something or you could be studying something, Mm -hmm. but instead you're playing all these damn games. Mm -hmm. Your, your parents ever, so I'll ever kind of give you that. I will say this: my mother wasn't appreciative of video games. Okay. Um, she had problems with with my attention on uh, Nintendo and things like that. Um, when it came to computer games, she never did, uh, because she saw that I was learning technology, and like I was doing things that to to be able to play a game often that she just didn't fathom. Mm-hmm. And it was I was clearly getting skill sets from that. When it came to tabletop gaming, never a single question, never a stop point. She always it was social. I had friends over. We were in a safe environment. Um, 
that was under oftentimes under her control. Yeah, because it yeah. was in our basement, which was she, my parents were party people. We had a nice basement for it. We had a big open space, mm-hmm. all kinds of comfy couches. So like having the people over for a weekend gaming all weekend long in the basement. Yeah, it smelled a little funny at times, but like. I would set things up. I would have a nice event. I would, you know, have my friends over. I would clean up. She loved every aspect of that. My but, my parents too, by the way. Yeah, uh, that part I, of it specifically. I, 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 my parents always keep the fridge. Like we had a fridge in our basement, um, yep. and like they would keep that stocked with like pop and you know by, by like Mountain yeah. Dew and Pepsi. Which like they didn't drink, right? You know, so like that you knew that there was only one pure, pure, you know one group of people they were buying that for, right? And, like, they would go out and they'd buy extra, like, chips and dip and salsa and stuff like that and whatnot. And at one point I was like, Mom, like, you don't mind. Like, you don't have to go out and buy all this stuff. Like, what is what is with that? And she's like, she's like, no, no, no. Like, uh, look, you're at that age. You could be out there partying. You could be drinking. You mm-hmm. could be rabble-rousing, getting into who yeah. knows what. But instead, you bring your friends here to our basement and play make-believe with colored dice. Yes, yes. So if all that costs us is a case of Pepsi and a, and a, and a, and a bag of nachos, like, yeah, sure, by all yeah. means. That's. I think the second part of it was my mother, um, kind of by sidestep trade, um, because she didn't start out this way, um, was kind of an educator. And she always saw educational tools in everything. Training cross training um you know working with when she moved in from uh, being a nurse into policies and procedures and then eventually into um education she taught at Wayne for a while um and she had a whole breadth and a different way of looking at things mm-hmm. and she'd always feed stuff to me like we would talk about the seven habits of highly effective people and like i i knew these things as a kid Right at the inception, before the books became popular, like I had all those things, um, and she saw. I think she saw that gaming was a an aspect of that. Mm-hmm. Role play was just a comfortable way of experiencing things in different ways. Yeah, that weren't dangerous. Not to mention that later on in my life, I recognized that my mother was a wild child at times, and she saw that I wasn't going to be. And so, in a way, she was. She was comfortable with me not becoming her, you know, and yeah, doing yeah, those yeah. things. I think. I think there was an aspect there that she was like, you know, I'm okay with this. Yeah. I'm. This is this is good education, you know. Your mom cracks me up so much because she's like, well, used to be a nun, became a nurse, right? Yeah, she was. She, oh God, it's like we could do a whole show on my but, mom. But, but like, <laughs> but like every so and then when you're talking to her, yeah, you, you just. You just get this little glimmer in her eye, and you just know somewhere somebody voted her most likely to throw a Molotov cocktail. You know? And not in the, like, destructive way, but in the, like, righteous anarchist way of, like... (laughs) I I don't know if my mother would ever go that far, but definitely in the sense of, like, I remember the first time I downed a... A Guinness in front of her. Uh-huh. Um, I, I I did a, a car bomb basically yeah, yeah, right yeah. in front of my mom, and I just watched her eyes stare at me for a second, like not in the like total like oh my god, I can't believe you just did that. Oh, more his of the like innocence it's, is gone. Exactly, yeah. it, was, it was more of the oh boy, he could he could be like that. Okay, uh. <laughs> <laughs> but like 
dear God, I love my mother, and she can be a party animal when she wants to be. Yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah. But she doesn't show that side to anyone. No, no, no. And it's no. But she is a wonderful, wonderful woman, and I am I am a better person today because of her. I love my mom dearly. Yes. So maybe maybe I misspoke. Not 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 most el- most likely to throw a Molotov cocktail, but like most likely to chain herself to a tree to stop a bulldozer. But I, you know, I I think she, if the if the if the if the reason was there, the conviction is definitely That's there. That's what I'm saying. My yes. mother definitely has that conviction. That's what I'm saying, yes. Yeah, my mother has made statements. And, and just that dash of rabble rouser. Yeah, it's, her conviction is strong. My mother's yeah. conviction is exceptionally strong. Yeah. So I will say that. There, there are stories, but I, I will say that much. So when did you start storytelling? So my storytelling started when I was in middle school. So what, like 12 yeah, about twelve, thirteen, twelve, thirteen. This is about same same age for yeah, me. Because I, I I wrote down fourteen, I think. But yeah, yeah it was, it's somewhere between twelve and yeah, fourteen. Mine, yeah, mine. I can definitely say it was middle school because it was uh, walking home from middle school is when I got my first book. Mm-hmm. Um, I was exposed to it before that by my cousins yeah. who were D and D first edition and second edition players. Um, and they learned basically going into college, mm-hmm. and so I had that experience with them making my first character happen then. But I really didn't get to play. Other than like messing around with them at like holiday events, yeah. Um, until I was uh, until middle school when I formally did it, so I had experience with it, and I even had some digital experience with it way early on mm-hmm. because my dad was in computers, and a lot of the early computer games there were quite a few of them that were role playing. Um, they weren't like we like tabletop style Us- usurper trade wars, right? Right. Um, ASCII based, yeah. like dungeon crawlers almost. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Um. And so those kind of gave me a gateway of a little idea of of even the text based RPGs where it was like you know would give you something in Zork yeah original yeah. Zork uh, like and the and the derivatives thereof yeah um, so I had all of that uh-huh. coming into it so it gave me a lot of energy of like yeah I could do this uh, which is why I didn't start with fantasy I started with yeah. space varying anime you know? yeah and you know is same same with me I I started with uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because mm-hmm. that's what my brother played with his Boy Scout friends yeah yeah and uh, so I got into that and then I want to say shortly thereafter um, I tried running it for some of my and I can't remember if it was junior high or if it was high school at that point but um, it was either like at, at, at the latest freshman year of high sure. school um, so fourteen ish or so mm-hmm. uh, I, I I remember my first. Uh, storytelling experiences there. Yeah. Um, running TMNT. I tried running a little bit of Shadowrun 2nd Edition. Yeah. No, I remember um, that very, very vividly. Yeah, but again, like, I, I never ran D&D. Like, D&D was something that my, my, my band buddy played. Yeah. I played a little bit of it, didn't like it, didn't yeah. understand it, so, you know. I played D&D 2nd um, <clears throat> Edition, uh, 3.54, going up from there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I played, um, briefly played Battlemaster. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, so there was a number of fantasy ones that I played. There were some games that I don't remember what the mechanics were or, no. or which system it was, but I did play like a couple sessions with people. Now, let me ask you this too. Um, how much then of, would, would you say of your, uh, uh, original like gaming, like back in those like early teens sure. days yeah. was storytelling, Almost no, all of it. Almost all of it. So almost you, all so of it. From, I was from the word go. You have been you've a been storyteller. The yeah, I was behind the screen. My fantasy games were the ones that I often played a character in, mm-hmm. but ninety percent of my gaming, I was a storyteller. Yeah, yeah. Like it just nobody else knew to do it or knew how to do it. 
Yeah, I'd say it was probably 50-50 for me um, up through high school. Okay. Uh, I was not the storyteller for our Battletech game, um, and that was the one that we played the most of, arguably. Yeah, honestly, I think it was after high school that I really got to enjoy other games. Because um, I started going to conventions, mm-hmm. I started meeting a lot of other people who were storytellers, I got to play in World of Darkness games and LARPs and things like that. So it, that's when I got to play more yeah. and ex- yeah. experience more of the other side of it. But yeah, uh, played a lot of World of Darkness in college. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was then... really popular at that time for both of us. Yeah, it really, <laughs> really was. Really was. It was very in vogue. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I want to say I I ran third edition D anD D when that came out. So let me ask you this. Yeah. So on that same regard, so starting out as as middle schoolers who were doing this, kids on bikes, ha. kids on bikes, right? Um, you know, did you? Not knowing now, looking back, taking the lens and looking back at that time, yeah, sure. Do you think that you gained immediate skill sets that you applied and just didn't recognize you were applying them? Uh in I, middle school, I really do think I did. Yeah. Um, what do you think was the first thing that, like, if you if you look back at the lens, what was the first thing that you really think came out of that? You, you know, because okay. I know mine is actually our first thing I have here. So for for me, like it's it's funny because I I learned the skill and only applied it to the role playing game because I was an absolute crap student. Okay, uh, I was an absolute crap student in school. Um, and uh, I probably undiagnosed ADHD. Sure, sure. Um, but I, I I don't I don't have a formal diagnosis on that. But anytime anybody goes like, oh yeah, this this and this are like strong ADHD. Sure. You know, I'm like, yeah, that's absolutely me, and something's been plaguing me all of my life. Um, but uh, that said, um, a lot of uh, like honestly, study techniques and stuff like that. Like okay. I learned. Um, I, there was a day when I could quote you the entire armament of like whole battle max, whole lines yeah. of battle max, you yeah. know, like, Oh, what's, what's on the Banshee? Well, that depends. Are you talking about the three S the three D yep. the five S mm-hmm. which is the upgraded, you know, et cetera, et cetera, you yeah. know? Uh, and then I could tell you all those variants and stuff like that. Um, yeah. That's, I think, that and... Um, like, your recall skills and your memorization. Yeah, yeah but between between that, organizational skills, and... Okay. Um, I would say a little... I, uh, public speaking, probably, is another thing that... See, that was the one that did with, it for yeah. me, was that in middle school, I don't think I would have gone into some of the... Class, by eighth grade, I had, a, I had classes of choice. And I don't think I would have taken the classes of choice that I had mm-hmm. if I didn't have a confidence in doing speaking. Yeah. Um. Or or even some of the writings of like when I went into ninth grade year of of high school, I was pretty confident. I knew a lot of people, but at the but I was already confident with public speaking. I had no problem talking in front of groups. Mm-hmm. Like as long as I knew something about the topic, a, a a glancing edge of it. Yeah. I could work with whatever else. Like I could I could get enough data points to make it sound like I knew what I was talking about. Oh, yeah. Like, I had the sales down because, I mean, and that's funny about that public speaking is because, like, I started work with my father very early on. And so I was dealing with peers who were, you know, 30 years older than me or mm-hmm. me in a business sense. And I had to feel confident speaking with them. And it, I think gaming really gave me that confidence because in gaming, I had to be a person 30 years older than me talking to people who were adventurers. Oh, sure. So sure. you you have to come up with those you have to pull that information from somewhere and that that 
je ne sais quoi of you know of being older right and, and right. having confidence that does it gets built and as you do it more it applies in other places that's one of the great things about about storytelling um uh, when you when you have to pull out a bunch of different npcs yeah you know over the course of however long you're storytelling for um it forces you to put yourself in the shoes of a bunch of different people yes and you build so much empathy and you build such a such a more mm-hmm. rounder personality just because you you get to practice in a in a very safe environment all these yeah. different aspects of yourself that you might not even be comfortable with but yeah. like if you can play one for 5 minutes at a time you know every so and then at a game like you know it's in there somewhere and i say right? i dare say that it is better than theater in teaching that whereas in theater you're being forced to do it and perfect it in front of people who are either going to cheer or jeer mm-hmm. and in tabletop everyone's gonna laugh regardless well, also, whether it's funny or whether it's hilarious or whether you're doing a terrible job at oh, it yeah yeah but it doesn't matter it's entertainment in a quiet in a small venue and they're gonna do the exact same thing yeah exactly you know exactly and so in that you have a much tighter loop between trial and success and failure mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that you can just move through. And I think that really th- – that was the other part about communication is is that you get to practice those things. Like you said, practice that empathy, practice that, that determination, that confidence when you need it. And then when it comes to applying it, like in theater, like if you move from role-playing to theater, which is something I did do. I did a lot of musicals. I worked on stage. I had to have confidence with other things. It came natural. Mm-hmm. So my – my evolution of myself expanded where I was hanging out with people much older than me. Like when I left high school, there weren't, there really wasn't anybody in high school that I still hung out with. Everybody that I hung out with was at least five to seven years older than me. Mm-hmm. And that carried through most of my life. Yeah, everybody yeah. just assumed I was older at all times. Now I kind of look like I think I've caught up with the age. But at the same time, like I still have friends who question how old I am because mm-hmm. they remember like you've done all these things. And it's like. Yeah, because every step led me to another thing that pushed me further into it and deeper into it. Yep, and yep. I, I will say that tabletop had a lot to do with that. Yeah, yeah, so. absolutely. One of the other big aspects for communication, too, uh, that – like, and, and so not just interpersonal communication learned from, like, in-game stuff. Sure. You know, but, I mean, how often do we talk about how you have to kind of be the, the, the facilitator for your table? The ref and facilitator, the, I would say you know, both of those things. People's personal <laughs> yep. needs, uh, you know, interpersonal conflicts at your table, um, doing the scheduling. So what you know. you're saying is you have to be a manager. What I'm saying is you have to herd <laughs> cats. Yeah, and that's the truth. Know. That is the truth because it teaches you management skills it does. right there. No matter yeah, you know, whether no matter how you look at it, you are a manager. Yeah, whether you accept it or not. And a lot of times, <laughs> the few people that I talk to who are active managers of either. Uh, service style you know you know in their life like whether they worked at like in food services or retail or something Mm -hmm. often said that gaming as a trying to organize gamers was harder than managing people that you paid (laughs) yeah because the people you pay have to be there to a certain extent yeah yeah you know but you're you're kind of asking the people that you're playing with can you can you carve this out of your schedule you know yeah. You can't just, like, fire them out of your game. <laughs> no, no. I mean, you can, and uh, sometimes you should. Sometimes you do. But but, uh, but that whole, like, yeah. 
that whole juxtaposition, you don't recognize all of the pieces. Scheduling's a huge thing. Mm -hmm. Accommodations for people's, uh, how they're doing day to day, you know, is a huge thing. Accommodating them for, because they're often your friends and you know what's going on in their life. Yeah. You think about that while you're doing everything else. Everything from just accommodating the 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 framework of timing everything Mm -hmm. to what's going on in the game like we often have had discussions of like hey i'm thinking about doing this in game do you think x is going to be okay with that because of this situation that happened in their personal life right right we've done that so many times and you do that naturally without recognizing how much that applies to so many other aspects of your life yeah yeah like and and when you do make the connection, your brain goes, oh, I felt called out, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit. Um, I And I, I mean, I absolutely took a lot of those skills when I, um, when I was a manager at, uh, at my job. Yeah. Um, had a team of, uh, I want to say 14 people under me at one mm-hmm. point. Um, I'm not in that position anymore, but it wasn't because of the people. Uh, I liked my team. I didn't like the management that I worked for, you know? Right. Um, obviously, I'm not going to you know mention any names or anything like that. But sure, uh, sure, sure. Uh, it was. Um, uh, but the, the the team was great, and yeah, I mean, uh, knowing all these skills of like how to kind of coordinate people, um, the fact that I had built all that empathy for you know for for people who are on my team, you know, being able to look at them as a person, treat them as a person, and make sure that their personal needs are being met as well as making sure that we're all still focused on the task at hand, you know? Right, right. Uh, yeah, absolutely something I picked up being a storyteller. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, which kind of leads us to conflict resolution. I, I see Knox in the box in the live chat is asking, like, I suppose you learn how to fire people through TTRPGs. I don't know that I would ever get used to doing something like that. I don't think I would want to get used to doing something like that. No. But at least understanding how to talk to people and how to resolve conflicts is absolutely something you can you, you practice at your tables. Yeah. Um because ultimately you're you're a group of people all gathered together for a task. Yeah. You know. Um and like in game you're looking at what available resources you have. Yeah. Um as a player definitely. As as a player and trying to find a workable solution to it. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh so like you've got your your PCs and your NPCs. Mhm. Basically just HR assets. Yeah, very much so. Right? Like how do we leverage the people we have to accomplish the task, whether that task is raiding a dungeon or clearing a work queue or something like that? Mhm. Um inventory inventory and material asset management. Mhm. You know, so like how many healing potions do we have? What did we do with that immovable rod? <laughs> you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Is our does our drone rigger have a uh, have a sniper bot that he can put up above us? You know, with with thermal imaging or whatnot. Yeah how how can we get how can we get better eyes on the situation? Exactly. Do we have a shaman on our team? You know. Yep. Um. And then, uh, like spell slots and abilities are expendable resources. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I would damn near say that's working within a budget. Yeah, no, I I think that's very much so. Making sure that you measure out assets and spend them appropriate to, you know, proportional problems that you need them to solve, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it sounds funny, but these are all things you're learning from these games. No, very much so. And I think, um, 
a lot of the stuff that uh, that comes out, um, like you were saying, with conflict resolution. I'm going to roll back to that for a second. Yeah. Like, now that we have things like X cards, lines, veils, we have terms for the things that, like, we had to manage without those terms as middle schoolers and high schoolers who didn't even know how to do it. And I dare say a lot of the college people that I played with still didn't understand emotional capacity and, you know, knowing where lines and consent were with emotional trauma. Mm -hmm. You know, that was always a, a terrible thing. I mean, we talked about World of Darkness. World of Darkness was basically like sexy LARP. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to put it that way, but yeah. and, and the people who were involved in any of those know what I'm talking about. And it there was a certain level of consent of understanding what you were getting into. But at the same time, like, I also dare say that the um, Rules of the Night, the live action mini book that mm -hmm. basically everybody had, kind of had some really neat moments in the book that talked about keeping that distance yeah yeah having that consensual you know thing there when it talked about certain power sex especially like domination mm -hmm. and things like how to handle those situations in a larp situation and you're like they didn't they didn't go so far as to set lines and veils in an in an obvious way but it was teaching you that and there's a certain transference that that comes to understanding like the boundaries of HR, understanding your distance between you and other people in your life. Yeah, yeah. You know, they may not be your friend, but you may have to work with them for a period of time. And in that, how do you know where a line should be drawn? And can you even communicate that sure, sure. openly? And the answer is you can. Mm -hmm. Here is how. This is a healthy way of saying, like, I go this far and no further, you know? And I, I think now with some of these tools, we have an a direct way of being able to communicate that. Yeah. And I love that. And it empowers people even more. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So. Um, and I think, you know, resolving accessibility concerns is another oh, God, big yeah. part of that too. I mean, not only do we, do we have our things like our X cards, our lines, our veils, um, and, and really just, I, I suppose j even just the idea of bringing to the forefront, the idea that discussing boundaries and comfort levels and consent in gaming, I mean, that those aren't ever discussions I had back in high school and college. No, like, no. I don't, I don't know that I had the language to do it. I wouldn't have thought to do it. I mean, I, I, I would have understand if somebody started having, like, you know, PTSD flashbacks, that that was a bad thing that I needed to stop, but I wouldn't have been able to tell you... You know, I wouldn't have been able to have an adult conversation about it. Well, an emotion, I would say an emotionally adult conversation because yeah. again, you, you, you hadn't dealt with it enough to be able to even create an imprint there. Oh, back when we were young and innocent. But I, I think under your accessibility, I think another aspect of that that role-playing definitely helped me with was understanding the positions of accessibility. Yeah. Um, you know, we would see situations where characters, you know, we'd be given options of you're blind, mm -hmm. you're deaf. You know, the simple, obvious accessible issues. But then as characters, we experienced through other players their limitations that they set forth for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, I remember one player uh, that I was in a game with who, in his backstory, made it very clear that he came from a broken, abusive home. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I didn't think about it much at the time, but it, it helped me understand there were... There were places that I couldn't take that story, and at the same time, there were places they very much wanted to take their story yeah, to be able yeah. to achieve a, a change 
in their own personal state. Mm-hmm. Be able to experience things that they wouldn't normally be able to experience. Sure, sure. And those kinds of moments are the ones where where I think accessibility in a different term, and this is where I'm coming with this one, is yeah. ex- accessing those emotions and those moments and being able to have that in a healthy way, I would say kind of a therapeutic way, is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is nothing wrong with somebody who who, who may have had a limitation um, – or, or or was dealing with something traumatic, like they just got done in a car accident, uh-huh. and they're still broken and going through therapy and everything, but they want their fighter to be whole. Yeah. And, and not yeah. have to, and, and, and constantly feel in control, and have a bit of a power fantasy because they physically can't right now. Sure, they're sure. They're struggling through it themselves. Yeah, but at the same time, though, you've got players, like very much like myself, and I've talked about this before, is, um, you know, who come to the table with a character concept where they're trying to work something out mm-hmm. you know the first female character i ever played i actually played ravana in another like third edition game or something like yeah, that you had for said like, that. a handful of game yeah. sessions um when i was still presenting mail mm-hmm. and uh you know before i had really ever figured out what was going on with this mm-hmm. you know uh with my with my gender identity in in general um i didn't have the words to describe it yeah i didn't know what i was feeling but like, I thought a female character would be really cool to play, mm-hmm. and uh, thought that I felt really, like, close to the idea of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found that, you know, in, in playing her, it felt really good to be referred to as a woman. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I should probably examine those feelings. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think I'm, I'm going to step, actually, around with this one a little bit for me, is that um, as a storyteller and improving so many different things, we have to constantly adapt to that. So, like, we have a vision of what we want to put into the game as Mm -hmm. an NPC or something, but if it doesn't fit with the group, we suddenly have to improv a totally different character. Because, like, maybe everybody's kind of thrown a Western twang to everything, and now the the big city guy doesn't make much sense to bring into this, so now you have to throw a Western accent on it, and maybe that changes your vision of the character Mm -hmm. and allows you to quickly make a change on that. Where's your character from? New York City? New York York City! City. Exactly, those (laughs) kinds of things. Um... But just those kinds of quick changes gives us – starts with that adaptation uh-huh. and makes us comfortable with that adapt- adaptation. I think that was one of the big things that made it easy for me to get into doing theater and music in high school um, much more comfortably because I could – it didn't matter what character role they gave me. I didn't care. People were like, oh, I I, I want to be this person. I'm going to try out for this role. I'm like, how about you just see which one they give you? Mm-hmm. You know, because they're going to find something that's going to fit you. Oh, no, no, no. I really need to play this character as a character I, I fit the best with. And it's like, okay, I get that. But then in the back of my head, now that I look upon it, I'm like, the reason why I was okay with anything was because I could literally play anything. It didn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. And it came to a culmination that when I was in my junior year, I had a senior who was in an AP class come to me and say, hey, we need to do a, a theater, like a, a five minute scene. Um, and I want to do Tame into the Shrew, but I want to do a role reversal. Would you do it with me? Would you Would you come into the class and do it with me? It would just be in front of the class. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Yeah, you're cool. I would totally do it. She, she was like, You're You're serious. You'll You'll put on a dress and walk into class. I'm like, Yeah, what? Yeah. Whatever. I'm an actor. Like, like what? This, okay. literally, it's a scene. It's yeah. It's how the scene is gonna go. And we practiced for weeks and then pulled it off and it went so well and there were like four other students who did an incredible job that they wanted us to do it at night for the parents yeah, and for other people. And I was like, 
sure, why not? And they're like, she's like, you seriously are still okay with doing this? Like, you literally were standing in the hallway in a dress alone. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. And? Like, it's like, it's a piece of cloth, first right. off. Second off, I'm an actor. I am supposed to take yeah. on different roles. But it's high school. Yeah. But looking back on it, I look at myself and I'm like, wow, I was way more mature than most of the people in that room. Yeah. yeah. But... I got an applause out of everybody because they they lost themselves in the scene because well, yeah. we had accepted what we were doing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that comes right out of this. Oh, that yeah. For me, this that 100% being able to watch my player, like, take that last breath after finishing something and watch the players just kind of absorb it and accept it. And you're like, they're all silent because they're in the scene with me. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the, one of the joyous moments you can have. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that, that like, I'm lost in the movie in my mind. And I, that's, that, that's what comes out of this, mm-hmm. you know, it's also see feeding upon that joy, you know, but being able to just quickly shift and accept these things, um, I think is enough. And one of the things that you brought up, I want to say last week near the end of the show, where we were talking about systems is that we do go through a lot of systems. Yeah. I remember going through, let's say I went through a couple palladium or a couple different palladium mechanics. Yep. Um, World of Darkness was a complete flip from that. And and each World of Darkness genre had its own kind of subsystems. Yeah, like completely. A lot of it a lot of it was, you know, uh, attribute plus skill worth of D ten die pool sure. to hit a target number. Right. But like what subsystems did you have in there? What yeah. powers and were you like, working going with? Going from what, battle tech know? to shadow run for you. Oh yeah. Like it, it's dice pools in very different ways. Well, I mean, Battletech is 2d6. Right. It's 2d6 for everything. Right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, then then you go to Shadowrun, and it's like, oh, okay, 2d6 is just not going to cut it. I no. need 14d6 <laughs> exactly. minimum. Exactly. But being able to shift your mind mathematically and still keep the understanding of what does this mean to the actions yeah. that I'm putting forth. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, what is the res- – I'm doing this. What's my result? And it's not even like – there's ratios in your mind that are mm-hmm. being made. There's a balance that's being made. But at the same time, you're you're having to, you're, you're, you know, it's not like life where it's like, I'm going to go chop an onion and now I'm going to chop, you know, I'm chopping, now I'm chopping an apple. Yeah, I'm doing the same maneuver with the same tool in the same place for totally different r- results. That's not true in role playing. Yeah, yeah. You know. I am chopping an apple in D&D, I roll a D20 and have these things that I have to add to it mm-hmm. to see if I hit an X, right? Right. I'm chopping an apple in City of Mist. And what aspect? Uh, uh, How am your, I approaching yeah. the apple? Yeah. <laughs> How are you approaching the apple? <laughs> you know, what is yeah. your intended outcome with the apple? Okay. Uh, Would you say you're using more of an earth chop or a fire chop? Right, right. Yeah. Are you giving it all? You or know, is this more of a void chop? You know, it's... But it's but it's the same yeah. result. Like, yeah, nothing's exactly. different there. You know, can I spend a re? Can I spend a Benny to rechop the apple? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and things like that being thrown into it. So your brain has to make all these extra connections for that, and those that adaptability and improv of being able to switch gears mm-hmm. and still remember what you're doing at the core. Yeah. I think is huge. That's, I think that's huge. That's a skill that I think I think one one of the big ones that I have picked up on is um, a lot of it is. Uh, it's kind of abstract thinking, I suppose. Very much so. Um, Very from, much so. From the standpoint of um, being able to conceptualize uh, 
the broader aspect of like, okay, at the end of the day, we're still talking about kind of doing the same thing. You know, a per you're still trying to represent a, a character trying to accomplish a task in the scope of a story. Um, but, uh, you know, especially, especially since we have moved into these, you know, uh, uh, system spotlights once a month, I've gotten a big workout doing that. Um, used to be, I only picked up a new game system every couple of years, but, uh, I mean, we're doing it literally once a month now mm -hmm. and, uh, we roll into it and you hand me, the first thing you do is you hand me the rule book and you're like, all right, learn the dice. Like, <laughs> Here you go. Enjoy yourself. All right. Well, we, <laughs> we know where I'm diving in. I'm diving in the storyteller section, but you, you are going to learn all of the mechanics. Yeah, I'm just going to tear this half of the book out and enjoy and, yourself with this. And the reason you do that is because I can do that in 15 minutes, you know. Um, you, you just and, have a different way of looking at it. But it's it's just, like I said, it's that abstract uh, thinking skill that I have picked up from, from years of this, of just mm -hmm. knowing, like, okay, I see what they're trying to accomplish with their dice, with their storytelling, mm -hmm. you know. Um, <laughs> and that's that's a super valuable skill. Um, I can tell you exactly where I where I um, I applied that hmm? uh, recently. Okay. Uh, there was, okay, so... Um, you know, Microsoft Access. Oh, Lordy. It's an old, old database program. Yes, yes. Um, by Microsoft, obviously. Anyways. Um. Pre-SQL. Yeah. Uh, Pre-SQL, yeah. Yes. Um, and, uh, one of the databases that I have to access at work that has a bunch of the old records in, um, that I very rarely have to, but occasionally have to search in this thing is a Microsoft access database. Now, when I took over my particular position, um, uh, I did it basically after my predecessor had put in their two week notice. And so, and I still had to accomplish my own job while this was getting done. Yeah, Everything moved very quickly and I didn't get a lot of on the job training. Oof. Um, and so Pretty after my predecessor actually. left and I picked up the job, there was a lot of like, okay, let's look over what she left me and try to figure out like what they were doing. Like most of it seemed pretty straightforward, but this access database was just a mystery to us. Yeah. Because it was so archaic in the way that it was put together and needed, like we needed to do searches for it. Right. Um, and uh, the, 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 the written notes were like way out of date and unclear to begin with. Right. And so I was basically given the task of like, um, here, you figure it out. Yeah. I had never touched access nope. before, you know. Um, and so I spent an afternoon on it, but it was all of that abstract thinking skill looking at systems mm -hmm. and how certain bits of information talk to other certain other bits of information to accomplish a task, to, to pull a result mm -hmm. from, you know, from that, um, I like excitedly messaged my boss just after my lunch break and it was like, I got it figured out. I did it. Look, this database here talks to this database here, which pulls these and it cross references those and dumps that into this database, which then cross references this other one. And that's what gives you the result. And she's like, wow, you're really proud of your, like you're, you're a lot more happy about grinding on a database for four hours than I thought you were going to be. And I'm like, no, this is great. Dude. <laughs> Give me more. Like, exactly. <laughs> yep. No, I love I love problem solving in that regard, and I, I think a lot of it has to do with gaming. Um, I think one of the things uh, that kind of fit along with that for me was that oftentimes I didn't have a lot of funding when mm -hmm. I was young. 
Um, it wasn't to say that my parents weren't doing okay, but we, we ran on a very tight budget. Sure. Um, you know, we were middle class in the tight sense. Like, we made it mm -hmm. to there, and that's it. Mm -hmm. Like, And so, like, all of my gaming books, I bought. Like, all, every one of my books were my books. I paid for, I figured out the money, made it happen. Like, my first game, my first gaming book, I literally starved myself through lunches to get. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember um, you telling me, yeah. And, because uh, I really wanted it. And then everything else, like, I would go to the library and get stuff from there, and I would look at things or I'd borrow from friends until I could get what I had. Um, which is one of the reasons why I still have all of my gaming books. It's, it's part of what I have um, in my collection. But... Because of that, if I wanted to do something special in my games, I had to figure out how to do it a different way. I couldn't just buy a solution. I had to figure out. So, like, I would look at these people who had this amazing terrain that they bought that was this dungeon thing, and I'd go to the, the hobby shop, and it was, like, $300. Oh, and I was yeah. like... In 1980s money, it, that could have been a thousand for all like you know for all it was. No right? man, screw that. Popsicle yeah. sticks and and craft glue. You know, and, and so and dollar acrylic paint. Right, and like yep. some of that was still outside of my reach. Yeah, because yeah, like yeah. I couldn't ask my mom to go to the hobby shop and and buy things that weren't going to be for school. Sure. So I had to constantly work around everything. Mm -hmm. Well, because of that. And that working around, finding free things, making things out of nothing, working with, you know, uh, other, like, we. I know in, in Warhammer, it was one of the biggest things was, if you needed terrain, the world is your terrain. Like, grab a rock, put it on the table. Yeah, it's called you floor know. hammer. Yeah, exactly. Or, or, or poor hammer. Poor hammer, yeah. yeah. I mean, that kind of thinking, but at, on a tabletop sense. Yeah. Like, you know, minis and everything else like that. Well, not only that, but like, hey... I want a cool map. All right. Well, what do I need? Well, I need grid paper. Well, I don't have grid paper. I can I can get grid paper because I can use the back of wrapping paper. Mm -hmm. Okay. I I can get some wrapping paper because I know where I can I can get a sheet of wrapping. You know, and figuring out solutions around those things led me to a lot of my problem solving that I have in life. Like, there's not much software that I stop at, and I don't stop. I just I do. Because I have to come to a solution to yeah. get to the thing that my brain wants the most. Yep, yep, yep. And so I'll reverse engineer it until I can say, okay, what thing is going to work enough to get the job done to my acceptable levels? And, and through that, like, I've learned how to use Audacity. I've learned how to use mapping tools. I taught myself, you know, uh, Photoshop and GIMP. Like, I've done editing. There's so many things I've done. I've had to learn to make one thing work. Oh, yeah, you know, I think I think the first time I did use Audacity was making audio stuff for my adventure game. Yeah. But that's the thing. is like, oh, uh, I need to make my voice sound like X. Right. Time to go digging until I can figure it out. You like, just Google, like, how, you know, what, what filter does this? Like, okay, well, you can just use this sort of filter, that sort of filter. Like, cool. What free program? Because I ain't yeah. showing out money for this. Oh, well, hey, look, Audacity. Audacity's exactly. free. <laughs> you know, and even before Audacity, like, I had to figure out that my dad had equipment for uh -huh. doing audio. So, like, adding reverb to things. Yeah. And yeah. echo effect and, and tonal changes. I, I learned audio that way. Yeah. And so yep. all of these things begin like it's nothing for me to set up an audio board now. Mm -hmm. It is I don't even think about it. When someone gives me a problem, it's no longer like a I don't know if I can do that. It's more along like should I? 
should I do this? Is it within frame? Like, I have to draw myself back from it. I actually have to check to see if it's something I should be doing or not. Right, 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 right. Am I inevitably... using a cannon to kill a mosquito here? <laughs> right. And, and and sometimes it's like, hey, I'm going to give you some tools so you can do it yourself. Sure, sure. But so many times, like, I've come back to that same feeling of, like, I can solve this. Mm-hmm. Because it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. And that's always been the way it was. Like, in, in high school for me, it was the... That we lost our direct, our set director and our actual director, director, uh, going into my um, junior year mm-hmm. and junior year, sophomore, one of the years, and we were doing Little Shop of Horrors. Well, nobody knew how to do the set, and in two nights, I built up an entire mock-up of how we could do the set mm-hmm. in three D. And handed it to the to, to the teacher directors and said, "Here's my idea for the set." She's like, "Great, you're the new set director. I'm going to give you a budget." <laughs> I did not have anyone over me. I had I had parents helping on occasion, but I had to build my own set crew. I had, to, I had the budget for building everything. And by God, if that set did not look amazing when I was done with it, I had shit spinning on that stage. <laughs> right there, you got your first taste of corporate America. Yeah, like, oh, you showed initiative and talent. <laughs> We're going to exploit this, you now. <laughs> this looks reasonable. How much of a budget do you need? I was like, uh, this? And I made it work. Yeah, right now. But at the same time, like, nothing stopped me. Yeah. And I, I, and that's empowering. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I will say a chunk of that came from being empowered by having people around me who just accepted the de- the designs and art and efforts that I put into things and seeing their joy come out of it. Yeah. I, I think that's... That's maybe another another skill. I, I don't think we've got this jotted down here. Um, uh, but uh, well, I think maybe maybe down like the personal area here at the bottom of the list. Um, yeah, is uh, uh, just a kind of a, that that aspect of personal confidence. Oh, so much of like not worrying so much about putting you know putting that foot forward because you kind of start realizing, especially if you're an extraordinarily self critical person like I am. Oh yeah. Um, that. People just appreciate the effort. Mm-hmm. They appreciate that someone else is making the effort and not them. Mm-hmm. Um, but also that uh, most of the time, the standards you think you hold yourself to, other people don't. Right. Um, and that was definitely something that I got from tabletop role playing. In that, uh, there are times, and there's there are still times where I walk out of a game going, "That was a disaster." Yeah. No, I, no. I, I didn't had those. accomplish any of my goals. Mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, my plot was off the rails. I felt like I was completely out of my element. I improved half of it. You know, I had to look up three or four different rules instead of the typical, you know, zero to one. Yeah. Um, and just, just, I really just felt, felt completely on my back foot the entire time. Yeah. What's the feedback from my players? Loved it. 10 of 10, no <laughs> notes, best game you've ever run. Oh. Shit. Okay. You uh, still feel down about it. You still feel down about it, but like there's a certain sense of pride you can at least walk away from. It's it's a balm you can put on that burn. Yeah. That when you walk away and you you, you take the time to think like, okay, I'm being really really self-critical and I I know several places I've screwed up. But ultimately, what is my goal here? My goal is to give an enjoyable time to my friends. Mhm. Let me take one moment to look at their faces right now. Everybody is smiling and laughing. Mm-hmm. When I asked for feedback at the end of the night, I got, uh, yeah, I guess the fight sequence is a little bit slow, but it was super fun. 
Yeah. And that I, was the only criticism that I got. Like, how do you – you know, you, you can feel bad about that. Oh, yeah. But you need to acknowledge you're only doing it to yourself at that point. Right. You know? <laughs> and the more times that you do that in and you're in a comfortable situation where you can immediately reflect, Yeah, I think that it, it softens the bruise, you know? Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite memories that I have uh, to this day about – um, about that is is that there are two ways you can look at playing an instrument. One is that it is a pain. It is going to be a pain because you are going to be holding something and interacting with it enough that you will have calluses and place you know th- parts of your body that will ache when you play it. Yeah. But as you play it more, your body adapts to the instrument. I played cello. I had a vibrating string literally against my fingers at all times. I had a bow that I had to hold a very specific way. Very weird way. It's too. a very awkward way of holding it. And in that, I ended up with I remember cuts early as a child. I remember uh, eventually those cuts getting sealed over and getting calluses and getting these burrs on my fingers that, like, I couldn't feel that skin. It was dead. But Can't I relate. I played trombone. Get well soon. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about what happened to your lips. No one's going to discuss that. But the, but the point of the matter is, is that your body adapts to those things. You get used to it and you start looking at those marks on yourself and you're like, I made this. Mm hmm. This shows progress. And as I got older, they're gone. Yeah. And it, it, there's a loss there. Yeah, there's a part of you that's just like, oh. My but I will say, yeah. I still finger when I hear cellos yeah. in songs. Yeah. Like, I may not be exactly right, but I feel it. Yep. I can still feel the string. Yep. And I think gaming gives you that as well, that reverberation in your own mind of, I've been through this moment. Mm-hmm. I can move past it. Yeah. Or I can I can gracefully move through it. I mean, and I love that we we do we do um, you know simulators for so many things. If you're learning to fly, if yeah. you're learning, you know, like even even you know combat and stuff like that, they do they do simulation and stuff yeah. like that. And um, it's funny because like in so many ways, just in our own minds, you know, mm-hmm. they they've done studies that role playing, you know, activates that that deep sort of imagination. It activates the same sort of brains of like actual real experience does for well, you. Well, it's one. It it is a real experience. It is a real experience. Yeah, and and uh, no, I'm not. I'm not saying right. That, you know, I'm not in any way making the leap that like combat in D and D is the same as combat in real life. I would not at never all. never do that. But like, it, ultimately, at the end of the day, though, role playing is a kind of reality simulator. Mm-hmm. It. it simulates a variety of different experiences. Mm-hmm. And so you role play for long enough, you've had a variety of experiences. It becomes very seldom that you can get put in a sticky situation, be it a socially sticky situation, um, an emotionally sticky situation, or, you know, sometimes even a, a conflict situation mm-hmm. where you, you don't think back of like, oh, yeah, you know, this happened once in a story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And even just that can give you a little bit of an edge on the uh, uh, on how things turn out. Yeah. Uh, Nevin's got an interesting question that I think fits into the personal section here a little bit. Yeah, sure. And that is, what kind of real-life skills would you advise to improve for TTRPGs? So not, not what you get from it, but what you what you learn outside to bring to the table. Yeah. Um, I think there's, I mean, whether you're a player or a storyteller, I think there's different aspects, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um. I think, I think, learn outside. 
So my bring. Hmm. my big answer for this is going to be um, uh, interpersonal skills. Okay. 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 Um, like big things that, that had a lot of crossover with me in in a management position when I had a team. Um, that was, you'd bring to a tabletop. I'm that just... I would bring to a tabletop. Okay, keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. yeah. Was uh kind of the the how to manage people in general without but but will with keeping in mind that these are people mm-hmm. and not just assets mm-hmm. but being able to at least keep that sort of professional edge enough that you can keep them on task mm-hmm. and keep them with acting a with acting within a um professional boundaries i suppose you know um not that your table has to be rigid, you know, uh, you know, formal attire affair or anything like that, but like um keeping them on task. Yeah. Keeping them from getting too rowdy and yeah. and getting uh you know, making other players uncomfortable with how rowdy cuz I mean even, you know, I mean, oh look, we're an older gaming group. We don't yeah. we don't really get rowdy anymore but you know especially for a lot of like the beer and pretzels style games that you know sometimes the younger crowd still does and whatnot people come you know to their game with a with a case of beer or maybe Mm -hmm. something else Mm -hmm. um you know and and things can get a little out of hand well um, not only that but i hear a lot of times uh and i'm hearing this from a lot of newer gamers uh they don't play for more than 90 minutes like that's their session. How do you accomplish anything? I I'm of the same mind frame, but at the same time, but like they'll play for ninety minutes and then they'll go do something else. Yeah. Like so that they're still hanging out, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's they'll maybe get through a scene or two, but they also play more often. Well, that's true. Yeah. I mean, you if know, you're playing every week, I suppose you. Can you know, get or a couple something. times a week in some cases. Yeah. Like college players, from what I've heard more recently, played between three and four times a week. And, like, because they can only do shorter sessions. Yeah, but, like, an hour at a time, though. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're squeezing it in, you know, before you go to the bar, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a thing. Or maybe you're at the bar, which is a huge thing now, is that apparently yeah. you know, a lot of distilleries and stuff like that, like, people will just be playing D&D in the corner, mm-hmm. you know, and people will be watching them. And that's mm-hmm. a thing. Like, yeah. that kind of blows my mind in a way. But at the same regard, I think what you're saying in that is is keeping focus knowing when your focus breaks happen and and being able to allow for them no different than in a meeting. Yeah, sure. Like nobody should have meetings that are more than an hour long without some kind of a break in it. But I think but I think in addition to that though, there's there's that empathy component. Very much of, so. like look, we're still talking about people. Like it's one thing to keep people on task, but like if somebody is struggling, you know, your response to that shouldn't be like whippings will continue until morale <laughs> increases. Yes. You know, it, it's it's hey, I see you're struggling, you're my friend. What's going on? Is there something I can help you with? Should we just not play right now? Is mm-hmm. it, you know, do you need something to help accommodate you? Right. You know, um, and finding that way that you can not only help your friend, but help them also then get back on task so that the group can continue to accomplish their goal. Um, that's a management technique. Yeah, it's, um, it's true cooperation. Yeah, but it's it's basically just a lot of communication and interpersonal skills. Yeah. Um. I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound funny as hell to say this, mm-hmm. but a real-life skill that I think you can bring into TTRPGs is cooperative cleanup. Okay. You don't go into your office, you know, if you're in a corporate sense or into a group sense, and destroy it and leave it in a destroyed state, right? There's there's a cycle Yeah. that you have to go through. Like, 
Some people are the morning crew who have to set things up and get things going. And then there's a night crew that, you know, does a thing. But there's a constant level of cleanup and effort, whether it's your till, whether it's your your workstation, whether it's your queue, whatever. That is part of what we do within a business sense or within a activity sense. Even if you're just a you know a hobby blacksmith, right? That works with other ones, or you know in a, in a in a setting or a, a glass worker or something like that. There's something to be said about that putting it you know bringing things out, putting it together, and taking it apart. I think that is something that desperately needs to be brought to into the TTRPG sense, in the sense that people need to treat it less like a party where there's a host who's managing everyone yes and more of a community thing where it's like a hey we're all doing this i agree we need to do this together i agree and i i think that's there that was lost even when we were as kids Mm -hmm. and i think it's still lost today that that's not there that that aspect is not there that and it's a level of respect i think Mm -hmm. it's somewhere but also it's it's also that you think it's this type of thing, and that's how it has to, you know, oh, we're we're just going to a party. Right, right, right. You know, so I, I, I would say that's definitely a life skill that needs to be brought in. I think the other one that comes in specifically for storytellers is if you have, uh, if you can bring in from your own life experiences an aspect of a core, a core love. Mm-hmm. One of my core loves is figuring things out. Mm-hmm. I love dismantling and putting things together. And it bringing that into gaming helped me create worlds and complex situations. Mm-hmm. And I'm very good at it. And and I work with other people on it. And I think that is a, something that needs to be shared. Yeah. Whatever your love is, you know. And for some people, it's poetry. For some people, it's art. For some people, it's it's a uh, it's being able to to sing and I, like there was a a really neat thing that i read and i, I brought it up with you before where uh, a young girl was stuttering uh-huh but she could sing perfectly fine and so during sessions of combat her she as her bard would sing during combat lightly yeah but like she would basically serenade the group her her uh her anthems and things like that uh-huh and they thought it was great, but it was bringing her love to the game that brought sure. joy. Because when you bring that side of yourself into and expose it, you're doing something that you need to. You're showing an aspect of yourself to others. You're blossoming something out in a comfortable space. I'm hearing every single time that I've been stressing out about meeting my deadlines, getting my stuff together for my game, and you have told me, you know, you don't have to have painted minis in terrain. You already do. And I but... look at you and go... But you know I'm gonna. <laughs> you will. I mean I'm gonna. You're right? gonna bring some art to the yeah, table. Exactly. Yeah. It's because that's 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 my thing. You that, know? That's your jam. That's your love. And yeah. I think that's something that we can definitely bring from the outside, from real life, in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and share whatever and share. it is you love. Bring your passion. Bring your passion with you. Yeah. I'm gonna throw one more thing out there because we have microphones and we have time and we can do this. Let's do it. Righteous V just threw this in. Okay, and it's a it's a question, and like it's not in our normal question stuff. It sits. Oh, it's within... just in the general chat yeah. on the Discord. Okay, yeah. And so I'm gonna totally throw this on the table because it's worth it. Hey everybody, just, so you guys get a feel of what our Discord's like too. Uh, hey everybody, I I'm still prepping for my first campaign. We're all new to TTRPGs. Wow. Okay. Good. Good. Good luck, righteous. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of my players is an orphan who doesn't know his parents, and the other has been raised by two men 
of no known relation. She also doesn't know her own true parents. So two two players, two okay. different players, um, who are both orphans, I guess. Uh, one is a tiefling, and the other is a half-elf. I was thinking about making them siblings, possibly twins, separated in their infancy. My question is, should I discuss this with them? <sighs> if it is your first, um, my first instinct, you are playing with character backgrounds. Yeah. They may not be comfortable with this. Yeah. So, if it was me in the history that uh, of of, the, of of dealing with situations very close to this in games that I've ran, mm -hmm. I've seen success and I've seen utter and total failure on my part, where yep. people just did not like that I took that agency from them and gave them something else, and they ground so hard against it yep. that it ruined the game. Yep. So I will say, don't don't roll those dice. Don't roll those dice, or if you if you do want to roll those dice, sit both of them down and have that talk with them. One hundred percent. And don't and, don't do it independently with one or the other, because one may say that sounds like a great idea, and the other person might be against it, and they're going to try and sell it. To yeah, them. get get their buy in, get their buy in from them both together at the same time. Because if one says like you, it may it may turn out, and we I've, we've done this before yeah, too, where like like. Uh, yeah, hey, what if, you know, actually, what if instead of being twins, we're blah, 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 something else instead, and the other person goes, oh, that's a great idea, and what if, and they start, yep. you know, bouncing and off now each they've, other. now they've got bonds, which is great. Now you not only have buy-in, but you've got, you've got enthusiasm and ideas from them both. Yeah. Um, or, yeah, like you said, they, they might hate it. Yeah. Um, so, and... The other thing is, is especially if, and, and I'm, I'm reading into one other aspect of what you're writing here, this is your first campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Most of these people are new to TTRPGs. Don't play with backgrounds. Don't, don't, don't roll that into your story. I agree. I agree. Set keep, that off to like, keep this as simple. Keep your steak and potatoes story, steak and potatoes. Yes. S don't try and make a souffle because your players like souffles on top of it. D don't do that. Don't, yep. don't hurt yourself with that. Stick with your steak and potatoes. Your players are still going to love it. And you will learn so much more by doing less. Yes. Yes. I've made these mistakes. Learn from Sarah and I. We've made epic campaigns early on, and so many things we should have learned that we didn't learn because we threw too many elements into the fire simultaneously. Yep. yep. Uh, and and every every element you throw in is a point of failure. It's yeah. a potential point of failure. Um, and so I, I think, especially since you're all new, and this is your first campaign, the best thing you can do is set yourself up for success. Mm -hmm. Okay? Be as plain and straightforward. I don't want to say boring, but like yeah. everything but boring. The you know? players will make it enjoyable. When we say steak and potatoes, like, okay, you are an adventuring group. You all know each other. You're going, you've been hired to go to these ruins, fight some goblins, get the MacGuffin, bring it home. Campaign over. Yep. You know? Set, make it as simple as possible so you can set yourself up to have a big W. Right. On the scoreboard at the end of the day. And I say this for morale purposes. Yep. Okay? This is your first experience role-playing. Yep. This is their first experience role-playing. Mm -hmm. The more chance you have of setting yourself up for success and, and finishing the campaign and getting through several game sessions with a successful arc of we fought the bad guy, we got the MacGuffin, we won the day. Mm -hmm. That's it. The more good memories, good experiences, everybody's going to walk away with this. You've got time. Yeah. You've got all the time in the world. You can make your next one more complicated. But yep. for your first attempt, make it – because if you if you fail, 
If you overcomplicate things and things fall apart and you stress yourself out and you burn yourself out after three months trying to juggle, you know, 15 different plot elements, etc., 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 you're going to come away from this thinking that storytelling is super hard and you're not going to enjoy it. Right. And your players will read that as well, mm-hmm. and your players will not enjoy your game. Nor may they sit in your chair. And... <laughs> Well, first off, yeah, you're 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 destroying any chance that they will they themselves will ever get behind the screen. Um, but also, I know a lot of people who have had a bad first experience with tabletop role playing mm-hmm. games and didn't walk away with that one particular game sucked. They walked away with tabletop games suck. Yeah, and they are not for me, and I will not enjoy them. Yeah. So do everything in your power to keep things smooth, simple, streamlined. And hand yourself a big fat W at the end of the day, pat yourself on the back, pat everybody else on the back, and everybody's going to be happy. Yeah. A simple story. Let your players generate the drama and chaos. And, they will. Oh, they will. And at the as the resident steak and potato chef, <laughs> <laughs> Which you I can tell you, you can keep doing that and people will continue to have fun. Yes. It's fine. You really don't have to rewrite Game of Thrones every campaign. Definitely not. Uh, but just making your world reactive, making your NPCs lively. Yeah. And Add- making it super fun to go get that MacGuffin. Yeah. Adding an aspect when you're comfortable to add an aspect or when requested to add an aspect is so much easier and nicer because, again, you're giving them that one more step. Mm-hmm. That one more thing. And that that's, that's often all they need. Yep. Because you're letting them... Um, so yeah, that, that's going to be it. Don't do it to yourself. Let them figure it out and then let them give them opportunities that are outside of the campaign Mm -hmm. to explore what they want to explore within their characters. Yeah. Take the breath for yourself. Yeah. Give them a bar sequence where they say, you know, they figure out that maybe they're related. Oh, maybe they're not. You don't know. Mm -hmm. You don't care. Because you're running the story. Yep. You know, you can throw false promises all you want that have nothing to do with the plot. You know? And enjoy that aspect of it, by all means. Take your time with it. Take take that effort to step to the side and just run a good, clean campaign. Absolutely. And know when it's over. Oh, God, know when it's over. So all I, right, we're I, wrapping up for the night. Yeah, let's talk. All right, so next week's topic, um, we're doing uh, agency within organizations. So like your players are all part of the Musketeers, or your players are all part of a heroes organization, or you a know, megacorp, yeah, or something like that. Yeah. So how do you balance that structure? How, how do, do you... you have characters that take orders mm-hmm. and have to follow somebody else's plan? Typically, an NPC but still have agency and free will enough to have an adventure and feel like you're playing a character and not just a cog in a wheel that's exactly. already turning. And yeah. this is this is actually a, one of our contributors had put put this in uh, yeah, a, long, in, a while ago. Thank you for this idea, Knox in the Box. We uh, love it. Uh, absolutely. This one goes out to you. So, All right. Well, I think you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave. 
and uh, join us up on our Discord. Uh, we, you, we may just see your question pop up in yep. our general chat and answer it on the air. Uh, if not, uh, shoot us some questions in the questions channel. Discuss things with our other other storytellers on there. It's great. Uh, you can find that link on our Twitter as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members who help us out every single month, especially our name members who often give us great suggestions like Knox in the Box, Subjet, Sam, The Arcane Asylum, Spark Emotion, Vedran, Hulavu, and Sean. We really appreciate all your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find them at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warrior by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout-out, as always, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so thank much you. for thank loving you. and supporting us. All of our friends who sat at our tables to give these great stories to share with you over the years. And you, every single one of our listeners, we love you guys love so you guys. much. Good, Good night. night.